Let's enter now into a space of depth, each as we are called. Finding a soft meditation, a deep reflection, an ardent prayer, each as we are called, and yet all together. And we enter into this space by hearing the lamentations, the requests, and the remembrances of our community. Let us hear one another to heal one another. May our listening bring forth acts of love. And I welcome us to enter now into a space of silence where we can breathe deeply and be present to all that we have just witnessed, all that we have just heard, and also a space where we can be present to the depth that is moving within us, that is calling for our witness. We pay attention to ourselves and to those we love in this space of silence. Our invocation reminded us of our work saying, let us call one another to the table of abundance that we may feed on those fruits that sustain us and ever ask us to grow. The table of abundance where none goes hungry and the presence of our neighbors is a balm to our souls. Our meditation today is inspired by this calling and by the Mahayana Buddhist holiday, Nirvana Day, celebrated by some on February 8th and by others on February 14th. Nirvana Day is a day to remember our impermanence and to witness the Buddha nature in all, the potential in all, to achieve Nirvana, or the state of perfect peace and freedom. So will you breathe with us? Breathing in and breathing out. The air we breathe is set before us, a table of abundance, an invitation to inhale and to exhale, and to remember again, to remember that we are alive. We inhale, filling our lungs with life, and we exhale, releasing, relinquishing, letting go, a table of abundance, set not before some, but before all. Breathing, a gift of being, we inhale, Receiving, accepting, taking in, and we exhale, giving from within ourselves. Each is a partner in this circle of life, and all have, by the act of breathing, an opportunity to taste peace and quietude. Breathing in, remembering what sustains us, and breathing out, remembering our connection to all life. From the Nirvana Sutra, if the non-eternal is made away with, what remains must be eternal. If there is no more sorrow, what remains must be bliss. We breathe. We connect with what is eternal in each and in all. Let our breathing 
be the river flowing through our souls. All right, so today we're going to explore the promise of giving. Now, giving, for those of you who are grammarians, might, you all might know that giving is a transitive verb. It means there's an action that we do something. One gives something to another. And there are many ways, many ways to give, many ways to embody generosity. We can have a generous spirit where we are open to the ways of others. We can have a generous heart where we're patient and we're slow to criticize. We can be generous with our praise and with our assistance. We can be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, as so many of you are here. We can be generous with our attention. Because when giving our attention, we're investing something of ourselves. We're opening ourselves, indeed, to transformation. And this reminds me of a phrase that I might not have heard from the pulpit of my Southern Baptist Church growing up, the phrase, uh, to give a damn, another kind of giving. But of course, to give a damn means what? It means caring. But caring is also a transitive verb. It's an action. It means that we transfer something of ourselves to somewhere else that it might be needed. We take our care lodged within us and we put it somewhere else, offering to fill a gap or to heal a wound or to wrap around a broken soul or repair an unjust system. Giving a damn is caring in a way that is tangible. Giving a damn, we summon our energy and witness. We spend thought and awareness. We pay attention and we ponder, what may I give? to make this situation or this person better off, compassionate, make the situation more fair. Giving often means a sacrifice of some kind. And when we are called to care, to give a damn, we are called in certain moments of crisis, are we not to give precious things? Not just money, but in times of crisis, we may be called to give prestige, to give our own safety, to give the power of our position or our identity, to give voice to truths that may affect our fortune or our fate. Caring, giving is a big deal. And giving as so many of you showed throughout this week, you gave what aid you could to the Mintz family as it struggled with the loss of Melissa. You are a giving people. And here we give ourselves in ways that will transform our congregation into a model of beloved community. So let us call one another to the table of abundance there's a difference between abundance and scarcity. In his A Guide to the Science of Giving, Raphael Serendaces writes, the paradigm of scarcity is one in which folks consider life to be just one big pie, a finite global zero-sum game. And in the scarcity mindset, if someone takes a piece of the pie, then there's less pie for everybody else. 
One's gain is another's loss. Scarcity lends a mindset that is defensive. When we're worried about protecting what we have more than we're willing to grow out of our self-imposed boundaries to achieve more. But when we live with abundance, that mindset, we know that there's enough for everybody, right? We know that a partnership will most likely be better than going solo. We know that taking care of stakeholders matter. We know that decision-making and power and good ideas and the work itself are worth sharing so we can build something bigger than ourselves. In American culture, well, it has not always championed this kind of radical sharing. What was one popular bumper sticker that you all might remember from that 1980s culture of greed and accumulation? Greed is good was one of them. And the one I'm thinking of is the one who dies with the most toys wins. Was that not drilled into our heads? No, no, nothing against toys or possessions. I mean, I have toys. I am influenced by this culture. I mean, I have seven guitars, and I'm a drummer. <laughs> I mean, Reverend Anya, how many guitars do I need? Don't answer that. Just one more. Just one more. But it's the equating of the quantity of possessions with quality of life. That is the fallacy. And this fallacy is denounced by spiritual teachers throughout all of the ages. Besides the pitfalls of spending all that extra time making extra money to buy extra stuff and then all that time shopping and figuring out where we're going to put all the stuff and then paying someone to guard it, perhaps our time is better spent doing something else as are our resources. Indeed, prophets from Jesus to Buddha sing resilient messages to not overvalue the treasures of this world. You may recall Jesus teaching, store up for yourself your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves cannot break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So instead of toys, which are fine and fun, which should we really treasure? In contrast to our contemporary American fixation with accumulation and conspicuous consumption, let us consider this tale about the Lakota leader, Sitting Bull. Sitting Bull was asked by a white reporter why his people loved and respected him so much. And like the wise man he was, Sitting Bull turned the question around and said, is it not true that among your people, white man, that..." Folks are more respected for having more horses and more houses. And the reporter said, well, yes, this is true, Sitting Bull. And Sitting Bull replied, my people respect me because I keep nothing for myself. Now, siblings in faith, it can often be very difficult to criticize the very culture in which we were raised because so much of our lives are drenched with the values of that conspicuous consumption. For most of us, everywhere we have ever been, we have been bombarded with messages aimed at promoting, upholding, and perpetuating values of greed and consumption. Now, I do not suggest there's anything wrong with accumulating wealth. 
An honest fortune made by hard work, clever investing, and careful stewardship is a gift, an opportunity for living well, for doing great things, and a potential to be a philanthropist for justice. I am speaking as to how do we value wealth? How do we value wealth? How do we view ourselves or others differently when we or they are wealthy? Why would intelligent people, I wonder, assume that somehow wealthy folk are more deserving of divine favor and public praise? Indeed, the restlessness of American culture often causes us to proclaim answers, does it not, before we have adequately asked the question. So I believe our culture's valuation of wealth and the wealthy leaves out an important corollary question. Now that I have this wealth, how best may that wealth be invested for the betterment of humankind? Sitting Bull could have been the wealthiest man among his people. Instead, he gave everything he had away as an act of embodied leadership to model his belief that he and they were one in giving and one in mission. And we should contrast that with the values on display among our nation's ruling class at this very moment. Greedmongery of the worst kind, is it not? As if simply because one was born to a rich family and given half a billion dollars as seed money, that somehow means that they're supposed to be better than us and they're supposed to rule over us. Well, I believe that's nonsense. What about you? And compare, compare that to the people in this very congregation. Many folks here have significant means but in our time serving here, no one has ever used their wealth or privilege to demand that this congregation make certain decisions or demand that other priorities be placed in front of the will of the people. In my experience, our highest contributors often make the least amount of demands upon staff and lay leadership. Is that not true? It's as if they intuit that we all have something, every one of us has something that the rest of us needs. We need your gifts of spirit and perception to be more whole. And so they trust and they give. They know what we know, that each of us has a special insight into the divine. Each have unique expressions of truth. And we will need these unique expressions, these perspectives on humanity that the rest of us may not have considered. Because sometimes... In fact, most times, we don't know the whole truth. So we share our pieces of the truth with one another. And that insight might just be what we need to come to life and to thrive. And so we give. We give to this institution, to our future, and to one another, as well as in gratitude to our ancestors. Indeed, we gather today to share from our deepest place of safety that we might nurture ourselves by celebrating one another. And we hope to create here a safe space that we know that safety is an elusive thing for many. Right? Many folks who have been preyed upon or oppressed or shunned simply because of their identity, the way the Almighty placed them on this earth, they don't often feel safe anywhere. And often the best that we can accomplish is instead creating a brave space 
Brave because we bring ourselves and our gifts to our common altar. Indeed, our ancestors made this space brave. And you continue that tradition. Let me remind you of some of these ancestors. In 1933, our Reverend Norman Fletcher was the only white minister in Montclair brave enough to be a founding member of the NAACP of Essex County. UUCM in the 20s and 30s brought great art and culture here. The Unity Concert Series, the Collegiate Pulpit Lecture Series, Broadway in the Burbs. This place founded Montclair House, housing for economically disadvantaged seniors just up the street. In 1991, you founded the Undoing Racism Committee, which has grown well beyond these walls and continues to challenge people to dismantle white supremacy. In the early 2000s, you bravely designated this temple as the home of Equality New Jersey, advocating for marriage equality. Today, you sustain brave programs for families like the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Awareness Curriculum. Today, you strive to improve Montclair's score on the Municipal Equality Index, measuring our town's fairness to LGBTQ residents. Today, you bravely provide mesh meals weekly. This place is brave because you choose a way of relationship grounded on timeless values, on covenant, and on giving. Brave because we are aware that at any moment we might be called to place our feet and our reputations on the line to defend the values we uphold, or indeed, to protect the very people threatened by a world that grows meaner every day as we did when we stood up for Luis when he was detained by ICE just last month. Our ancestors were brave and they gave us much of themselves. Our congregation was founded in 1897 by resilient women who longed for an open and progressive religion that they could proudly share with their children you see, in 1897, a strong tide of right-wing fundamentalism was sweeping this nation. And free-thinking people then, as now, were concerned about the spread of a rabid, exclusionary religious worldview. This fundamentalism wrongly taught that the Bible was incapable of error. It wrongly taught that there was only one way to be holy. It wrongly taught that hell is a permanent cosmic reality that very few members of this human race could be saved it wrongly taught that large percentages of the human family did not deserve love since they were not loved by God it was this same abusive hateful message sadly believed then and sadly believed today by too many Americans it was hate given cover in garments of righteousness, and it is just as dangerous today as it was then. Just as this congregation was necessary then, it is necessary now and tomorrow to dispel those dangerous myths and to empower a hope-filled resistance of service, truth, and meaning. They gave. People in this congregation always gave of themselves and of their treasure. 
Indeed, in 1905, with barely 100 members, our founders built this beautiful sanctuary. They dug deep and gave with joy so we could benefit from more than a century of service, meaning-making, and justice organized within these hallowed walls. And when this place burned in 1919, they showed their resilience again and rebuilt better than before, adding the kitchen, the alliance room, and Fletcher Hall. And in 1917, this place gave an ultimate sacrifice. There's a plaque back there by the thermostat on the wall right by that door. And it hails the death of Paul Gannon Osborne. Osborne was a pacifist, but when he got the call to serve his country, he volunteered for an ambulance unit. Osborne, the son of one of this congregation's original founders, became the first American to be killed in battle in the First World War. This is what we mean by giving, that act of donating something meaningful and worthy. And it is a habit that is deeply seated in the identity of this congregation. So let us open to this moment with hearts that have no borders, this morning, yes, is the beginning of our annual pledge drive. And being a member requires us to give as we're able of our time, talent, and treasure. Today, we're primarily focusing on that third T, treasure. And our asking is not a big one, just 5% over what you may have pledged last year. For those who are new, whatever you're able to, and we're not funding any major new initiatives. We're trying to keep our costs sustainable. We're seeking simply to continue deepening our commitment to old, old commitments, to improve our music program, to further our journey, to pay non-ordained staff and core compliance with fair compensation guidelines, and to invigorate our community by living into the guidance of our strategic plan. We're asking to continue to keep our house in order, not just in truth, but in fiscal solvency. So I urge you to become an investor of financial treasure in our mission and continue building our own slice of beloved community right here on 67 Church Street. Continue in the resilient spirit of our ancestors that selfless quest to give all we are able while building something that we all need. So come with me on this journey of generosity and when we do, hallelujah, the very stars will sing when they witness the gifts that you bring to our altar of meaning, love, service, and justice. It is a pleasure beyond measure to serve generous people such as you. Thank you. So, hallelujah, we will pray that our dream will start. Hallelujah, with joy we play our part. Hallelujah, from greed we take our leave. Hallelujah, in giving we receive. So come with us on this journey as we build a brave space, a model of beloved community, and construct together promise of better tomorrows, deeper connections, while we transform ourselves into the best people we can be. Amen. Our worship has ended. Let our service begin.